immersive audio podcast. In conversations with industry thought leaders, practitioners, artists, academics, and entrepreneurs, discussing all aspects of this rapidly evolving industry, from art, science, and business to practical insights and project case studies. We aim to inform, educate, explore, and unite the community. This episode is sponsored by Holoplot, the technology that features the award-winning X1 Matrix speaker array and integrated software that enables 3D audio beamforming and wavefield synthesis. Holoplot is pivoting the revolution in sound control that allows for a completely new way of designing and experiencing immersive audio on a large scale. To find out more, visit holoplot.com. Hello and welcome to the Immersive Audio Podcast, episode 78. With me, your host, Oliver Cadell and Monica Bowles. Monica, welcome. How are you? Hello. I am doing good. I've been... uh I have a performance coming up on Friday, so I've been busy getting everything prepared for that and all the the fun, exciting things that go into, you know, preparing a performance that you haven't done for a while and all the tech breaking, but it's been good. Um, Well, we've got another interview scheduled exactly a week uh, from now. Maybe you can tell us more how it went. Hopefully no no technical issues on the day. That's why you, you got to have all the technical issues before, right? So that, yes. um, you know, when you come to the, the day of, uh, it, it can hopefully be peaceful. <laughs> yeah, the, the art and science of live performance is to be able to solve technical issues seamlessly without audience realizing what's going on. Exactly, exactly. It's a skill. I just go back from holiday. Um, I went to Greece, Halkidiki. It was absolutely magical. I'm tanned, I'm relaxed, I'm rested. I feel amazing. I'm full of energy. I say that twice a year and then it just goes downhill from there until I go away the next time. Just shows that it needs to happen regularly or as regular as possible. Did some recordings with my little portable rig that I improvised just for the flights. Recorded some bits and pieces. Yeah, it was really good. We've got quite tight schedule we sort of uh, kind of we release podcasts relatively sporadically because obviously we we're doing it outside of working hours but uh, we've got uh, scheduled um, five interviews in a row so uh, listeners can expect a podcast every single week for a while before we disappear again uh, before end of summer so whilst uh, we've been away I know you've been away as well um, quite a lot of things happened um, one thing in particular that is absolutely massive to our industry, um, whether you refer to it as extended reality industry or immersive audio industry, uh, and it's the fact that Apple finally have announced their new headset and everything that comes with it. So, Monica, do you want to quickly talk about that? And uh, uh, obviously, the world just exploded. On the, I mean, everywhere you you looked, like LinkedIn, Twitter, that everybody kept talking about the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think if you're in this industry, it's everywhere, right? <laughs> yeah, so we're, we're gonna we're gonna keep it simple. We're gonna keep it relatively narrow. We just want to uh, kind of highlight a few bits and pieces that are somewhat relevant, and interesting to audio, immersive audio. That's what we're here for. Yeah. So again, it's a, again, it's a huge topic for uh, the XR VR community. Um, you know, to see this come out. So. You know, we'll see where it goes. As far as spatial audio goes, it'll be interesting to see. I know they mentioned that they're using Dolby Atmos a lot um, and that they'll be using that as kind of one of their main rendering forms. Um, but it will be interesting to see if they have other spatial audio kind of implementations that come in as well and not just Dolby Atmos. Um, I think that's still kind of yet to be seen. Um, and, you know, they have some different tools. I think it's uh, the XR Reality tool. Um, did I get that right, Oliver? Or XR kit, reality kit? Uh, yes. Yeah, okay, yeah. So if I recall correctly, so they call it reality kit. And then that comes with Reality Composer Pro, which I believe is some kind of environment slash engine where you're able to code, compile, arrange assets and so on and so forth. So it's it does have a support for Unity. I'm not entirely sure how that works technically. It looks like there's like a whole ecosystem of tools and platforms that allows you to do basically offering for across the spectrum for all kinds of components for the content. Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, Reality Kit will be kind of, you know, where 
to do a lot of your development work. I think not just on the spatial audio side, but also on the visual side and kind of just app development side. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it seems, again, it's uh, um, it's one of those, uh, I, I think it, what's exciting is that Apple, you know, is now kind of getting in the game for VR and XR. You know, they haven't really um, released anything, you know, too, too much in that space yet. Um, and, but again, you know, they are known as kind of one of the forefronts of hardware design. Um, and so we will see kind of how this does or doesn't change the game. Um, you know, I think that Apple, uh, they do come out with some really, um, you know, really great products. I mean, this is definitely an expensive product. It's like a, its own computer um, that you wear on your head um, and offers a lot of the similar things, you know, that some of these other products do with, you know, some differences in um, kind of blending of AR and, you know, VR a little bit more um, than some of the other products as far as I can tell. So, um, yeah, we'll see how it sounds and we'll see how it, uh, you know, actually um, functions once it, you know, is released kind of and get some demos, hopefully, uh, to see where it's going and if it lives up to the hype. What do you think, Oliver? Yeah, talking about the whole thing is definitely beyond the scope of today's interview because there's so much to say and talk about. You know, I've seen some very skeptical responses. I've seen some very positive responses. I personally quite excited. I think it's a big deal. I think it's uh, big news for the industry and it's definitely going to have a positive impact in terms of the evolution and, and progression within the industry. Um, but I just wanted to go back to kind of the nitty-gritty of audio because I've, I've seen some comments on forums uh, where people just trying to figure out like what is it going to be like in terms of audio what kind of formats does it support and uh, I, I watched the video a couple of times and I don't know I might be completely wrong I'm reading too much into it but uh, it, it does feel like they try to keep it vague on purpose um, but we, we do have a few bits of information that will allow us to to read between the lines what it's going to be like, and and uh, essentially the reality kit will contain three types of audio: spatial, ambient, and channel based. So spatial represents sources where you can control the directivity and volumetric properties of the source. Obviously, you can make it omnidirectional to propagate within the space, or make it hyperdirectional and you know control the direction that way. Also, they haven't specifically mentioned it, but it by the sound of it, it will have um, virtual acoustics and kind of reverb engine um, that will accommodate the the space you're working with, which I think is necessary and appropriate. They also have this ambient category, which had like a 5.1 graphic. And uh, they use the word multi-channel, uh, which can suggest anything really, including ambisonics and other formats. But they specifically said that there's no reverb and fixed direction. So yeah, I, I guess you'll be able to use surround beds, Atmos beds, ambisonic files, potentially. Again, a bit vague. And then there's the third one called channel. Uh, so as, as per description, has no spatial effects and uh, uh, is fed directly to the speak, physical speakers on the headset. Again, reading between the lines, that might be interpreted as a headlock component. So you've got two channels, you can feed anything you want, mono, stereo, or uh, pre-rendered binaural for non-diegetic audio or for any kind of you know effects or purposes you you, we want to utilize it for. So all in all, uh, my prediction is it's going to be quite flexible in terms of what format I can intake, which I think is really positive because um, I think it would be quite disappointing if it was just Dolby Atmos or it was like uh, just first order on the Sonic. So I think being able to comprise all these formats and manipulate them in, in any shape or form, uh, I think is very important from creative and technical standpoint. I might be completely delusional here. Um, hey, uh, if anybody has a better idea, please give us a shout and let us know. But um, that's where we are for the time being. Yeah, and the last comment, I guess, all of this can be um, compiled in Reality Composer Pro, which is like a bespoke software uh, with user interface. And But it can also be hooked up with the code, which is really interesting. Yeah, that's huge. Another piece of news, 
which probably would be quite a big deal if it wasn't for Apple's announcement, but it doesn't seem as significant in comparison. So let's just rumble through that very quickly. And it's the fact that Pro Tools, uh, well, Avid rather, released new version of Pro Tools 2023.6. And the the most interesting, when it comes to spatial audio, there are some bus option expansions for Dolby Atmos. Um, they've added 5.0.2 through 7.1.6. They also added uh, 5.0.2 through 9.16 and in terms of ambisonics they've increased the the channel count from fourth to seventh order ambisonics uh, which is really cool having said that again correct me if i'm wrong if anybody out there knows better i don't think there are any aax plugins in existence that go beyond third order even more so there are no commercial platforms for content distribution that support anything beyond third order. Neither any of the game engines like Unreal and Unity support anything uh, beyond first order or third order if you use third party tool for internal bus structure that can take you up to third order 16 channels. So as far as I can see, like Reaper will remain the main DAW for any work that requires, you know, up to seventh order, which is probably not very common. And there's not a lot of people actually doing stuff like that, uh, maybe in the, in the space of arts, music, some, some research, but kind of every, everyday content for commercial release, it's not really applicable. I'm looking forward to see developers to start releasing and uh, expanding their tools to the AEX format and to, to, in order to accommodate this update. Uh, I mean, it can only be a positive thing. Well, and hopefully, yeah. Yeah, I think hopefully with yeah, having 7th Order now will kind of allow for people to see that market opportunity to develop um, for, uh, you know, higher orders of Ambisonics beyond 3rd be able to develop more like AAX plugins, you know, that do work with Pro Tools because before, what was the point, really? Too many news and it's too hot. It's 35 degrees in London. I'm absolutely melting. I switched off the air conditioning and the fan and I closed the windows because of the microphone, obviously, and uh, I'm absolutely melting. So with that in mind, let's move on to the last piece of news very swiftly, which I picked up from the latest Audio Engineering Society journal, and it's about MPEG-I, Immersive Audio Reference Model for the Virtual Augmented Reality Audio Standard. It was written by a couple of researchers um, affiliated with universities and Fraunhofer Institute. Obviously, Fraunhofer are the, the, the main entity behind all things MPEG. So let me read a couple of uh, lines just to give audience a bit of a context what MPEG-I is about because a lot of people must have heard about MPEG-H so but MPEG-I is a new thing. MPEG-I Immersive Audio is a forthcoming standard that is under development within the MPEG audio group to provide a compressed representation and rendering of audio for VR and augmented reality. Applications with six degrees of freedom essentially. MPEG-I Immersive Audio supports bitrate efficient and high quality storage transmission for complex virtual scenes, including sources with spatial extent and distinct radiation characteristics like musical instruments, as well as geometry description of acoustically relevant elements, walls, doors, um, occluders. The rendering process includes detailed modeling of room, acoustics, and complex acoustic phenomena such as occlusion and uh, diffraction due to acoustic obstacles and Doppler effects, as well as interactivity with the user. Based on many contributions, this paper reports on the state of the MPEG immersive audio standardization process and its first technical reference model architecture. MPEG immersive audio establishes the first long term stable audio format specification in the field of VR, AR, and can be used for many consumer applications such as broadcasting, streaming, social. Extend reality applications and uh, overhyped word metaverse technology. So there you go. I think um, it's quite technical and uh, it needs to be contextualized to be able to appreciate the the benefits of this technology. And uh, actually, we would try to invite the authors of this paper to this podcast 
and uh, led them to talk about it properly and um, uh, ask relevant questions at the time. That's it for now. Let's move on to our interview. Our guest today, Knock at the Gate Duo, Sean Hudock and Joe Disher. Sean is a performer, a playwright, and a filmmaker. Joe is a professional stage director with 25 years of experience. Sean, Joe, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having us. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having us. I'd like to start by asking, whereabouts are you tuning in from? <laughs> We're tuning in from uh, the East Coast of the US. I'm in currently Brooklyn, New York. And I'm in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Why don't you give us a little bit of an overview about your journey into the industry and your journey into the spatial audio as well? Sure, of course. This is Sean. Yeah, um, I, uh, as you mentioned, I'm a, I'm a performer and a, a producer and a, a writer. Um, I never sort of intended to become an audio creator until really the pandemic happened. Um, but most of my focus uh, for much of my career has been on stage work and uh, creating original works. Um, and I've also had a, a focus on Shakespeare and uh, classical theater, which is how I first met Joe. Gosh, I don't know how long, many, many over definitely over ten years ago, I don't want to date us, but yeah, it's got to be two thousand three. <clears throat> I think it's or no, it's two thousand five probably. We met at the Shakespeare Theater of New Jersey, where I was uh, the associate artistic director and a staff director there. I directed shows on the main stage and the outdoor stage. My roots are in the classics, um, and and especially Shakespeare. And um, Sean was in one of the was a. I guess you just what graduated. Yeah, something like that. Maybe. Yeah. And we were, was in one of the training programs and worked his way up through the company as an actor and has done shows on the main stage there as well. And we've also worked off Broadway together. So our paths crossed at Shakespeare Theatre in New Jersey, recrossed uh, many years later, and then during the pandemic, we we were at my house in my backyard, having a socially distant bonfire. Uh, chat with some friends, and uh, Sean and I were talking about some of the content that was happening, the theater content that was happening during the pandemic, because a lot of theaters um, were doing Zoom readings and even Zoom productions, and uh, with no disrespect to the theaters, because the theaters my roots, um, you know they they need to they need to keep their program. Their programming going. They need to offer content to their to their audiences during the pandemic to survive. But I didn't really feel like it was theater. And we were talking about how it was more like, well, we're doing internet, really. <laughs> um, and somehow we got onto the topic of um, just going, you know, embracing where we were at the time, uh, both in terms of isolation. And in terms of just doing full audio, uh, only audio productions. I'm not sure how we got to that point. Do you remember, Sean? It, well, for me, it was this kind of this production that I'd heard in um, in Texas. A, a bunch of uh, really great uh, theater company down there called Amphibian Stage um, had produced this audio immersive audio production of a play that's designed to be listened. To, that was written rather to be listened to um, in, or actually it was, it was a play that was meant to be seen in complete darkness. Um, and it's called the, the true history of the tragic life and triumphant death of Julia Pastrana. And um, it happened, they did it kind of early on in the pandemic. And um, you know, it was a thing where it was an immersive audio uh, experience that you were, you know, you were asked to put on a pair of headphones and sit in a dark space. And so I did that, um, in my bathtub, um, and I was like completely transported, and it was just so compelling to listen to audio alone by yourself in the dark. Um, and so, when Joe and I were having this conversation, we were, you know, we were trying to figure out like how we could how we could create something that was impactful and meaningful. And we, you know, we both first of all like we both landed on the idea of doing a Shakespeare play. We both immediately thought about the potential of doing um, Macbeth, and um, 
you know, this idea of the the immersive audio, something doing something in the dark kind of seemed right for Macbeth. And so, you know, Joe and I having, Joe is an audiobook narrator as well. Um, and, you know, sort of a multi-talented man of all trades, but I have no experience in audio production whatsoever, or at that time had no experience. And so going into creating an entirely immersive audio experience using, you know, Shakespeare's Macbeth as kind of the background, uh, we, we both went in very blind, um, you know, as far as, uh, you know, we both have experience creating more visual, in a more visual medium. Um, and suddenly there was this like challenge to tell a story without the visual component altogether, which I think f- for both of us was kind of super exciting. Um, and uh, it's kind of, for me, at least a revelatory experience. It's, it's kind of hard to see Shakespeare outside of audio now. You reminded me, Sean, when you were talking about the production in Texas, what had spurred me as well, which was I had listened to some of the Richard II that the New York Shakespeare Festival did. Richard II was supposed to be on there, I think, in the Central Park that summer. And it was canceled because of the pandemic, so they did uh, an audio version of it, a radio play. And I actually studied in London for a semester in college, and I studied uh, audio drama, was really into it. It was my semester project. And I heard this production of Richard II, and it was interesting. There were were a lot of talented actors, um, but it wasn't quite the style that I had imagined it would be. Um, There were stage directions read. It was, uh, there were some narrative descriptions of what was happening. And the sound was... Uh, very two-dimensional. And I thought, well, first of all, Shakespeare, anyone who's, who loves Shakespeare or studies Shakespeare or works on Shakespeare will tell you, it's all in the language. So the language is so rich that it really lends itself to, to an audio experience because it's so descriptive. Not only descriptive in terms of adjectives per se, but descriptive just in, in terms of the sounds that the words make and the sounds that Shakespeare, the, the words that Shakespeare put together in a certain order. That's why I was thinking, well, let's do something that's, as Sean was saying, that's immersive, that puts the listener at the center of the action. And I think one of the things that might have made us think of Macbeth was the fact that we were sitting over a bonfire and uh, with trees around us, and it felt very, it reminds you of the witches, uh, the Weird Sisters. And Macbeth in particular, jumped out at us because it's such a, I think people think of it on the surface as a, you know, as this very bloody horror of a play. And it, it is that, it can be that, but it is really a psychological thriller because it's about two people that make a choice that plunges them into extreme guilt, which turns into paranoia, which turns into madness. And so it's all very much in the mind. And so to put that language right into someone's ears, that story right into someone's ears, um, sounded like the perfect match. I was going to say it would be interesting to come back to the you know specifics and aesthetics of the format just in the moment. But before we do so, um, I'm curious to hear, coming from the Broadway production and the theatre background, what would you say is the state of play when it comes to use of spatial audio in those industries prior pandemic, during the pandemic, and after the pandemic? As a theatre um, producer, I think there's a ton of exciting developments for us to kind of pick and choose from and for designers to pick and choose from. In terms of like presenting in a, a physical space, I'm the one of the producers of this new musical uh, that that uh, premiered out in Berkeley Rep last year, and um, the theater out in there in California has this amazing setup that uh, it's called the Constellation System, and um, it's created by Meyer Sound, um, and it basically, from my limited understanding of technology, it they it uses these ambient uh, sensing microphones, as they call it, and some like digital processing to adjust the um, the uh, like the acoustics of the space. Um, so literally, like every person in every seat has not only like the same is experiencing the same quality of sound, but they're also experiencing the sound around them. So, for instance, uh, in our for for our production, which was had a had a couple of different um, 
you know, environments, you could change the, 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 the timbre of the environment to go from being like a very small kind of like vacuum sealed room to like a large, um, you know, expanse, like being out at sea or like you were speaking at a cathedral without using anything other than these ambient microphones that are placed um, within the speaker system itself. And our sound designer for that project, Tony Award winner, was um, super, super excited about, you know, use, being able to use that technology. Um, we actually got it well, when I was out there. Um, they gave us a, a tour of the, their um, their facility. Meyer Sound is based in Berkeley, so we got to like literally walk through and see them on the conveyor belt. You know, building the tweeters and like literally, um, you know, all of their. I don't know what I'm supposed to talk about, but <laughs> I'm sure it's a lot of trade secret. But you know, we saw a lot of units that were going off to like Skywalker Sound and like to you know Ed Sheeran. So I think what's what's exciting is that in like in a definitely in a physical world there are like the opportunities and the the technology especially in theater um it it it, it like really is is progressing um but again it's all kind of in support of a very sort of of a, a largely visual medium um and and so what we're trying to do is figure out how to take all of that strip away the visual and um you know keep audiences still feeling like they are truly at the center of, um, of an experience. You know, it's exciting again to see that you all are, you know, working on, um, working with immersive audio and starting to kind of incorporate that more into what you do. Um, so you've created this company knock at the gate and, you know, kind of coming out of, uh, you know, some of this interest. So can you dig a little bit deeper into, you know, what Knock at the Gate is and what you do and, um, you know, how kind of spatial audio influenced um, the development of your company? Knock at the Gate is a is an immersive audio, we will say it's an immersive audio company um, that Joe and I co-founded um, uh, during the pandemic. Uh, and we basically build... Uh, immersive audio experiences designed for the dark and a pair of headphones. And we say we're fueled by Shakespeare and the science of sound. I think the the thing, at least for me, that encouraged me to seek out uh, like, a, like a future beyond the pandemic for this kind of work was we had so many responses from people that we knew, people that we didn't know, folks around the world, around um, the U.S. as well, who the first response they had when they heard some of the work that we were doing was, I truly felt transported and I felt like I was there. I, I love that as a, as, a, as a storyteller. I mean, that's the goal is we want to captivate imaginations and bring them into the heart of a story so that they can feel and experience and put themselves in someone else's shoes. I mean, that's, that's sort of the whole art of storytelling. But I, I sort of, I, I feel like I rarely experience that, especially after seeing a Shakespeare play or even listening to a Shakespeare play. Um, and so it was kind of that response alone that people truly felt like they were having a meaningful experience listening to our, our productions of Shakespeare in the dark on a pair of headphones. To Sean's point about, you know, having a meaningful experience, there were people that were contacting us saying, I, I never understood Shakespeare so well until I, I heard this production. The story was so clear, which to me is one of the greatest compliments I can get as a director too, because if the audience can't understand what's being said or what's happening, you don't really have your audience. Um, and then there was, there was another, uh, one individual in particular who, who said uh, they felt so empowered by the fact that they were, they were in the center of the action, and this was during when we did Julius Caesar. They felt so empowered uh, by by being placed at the center of the action, and feeling like they were right there in that scene. But then, at the at simultaneously powerless because when <laughs> when the senators, when the conspirators assassinate Caesar, this person felt like I couldn't do a thing. I felt so helpless, <laughs> and I was right there in the middle of it. So it, it, it you know talk about impactful um, that that to me was a great example of that. The the big sort of elephant in the room is that the the idea of listening to a Shakespeare 
play in the dark on a pair of headphones and building a company around that is a very, very niche idea. The more I say those words, I'm like, wow, this really is very niche and very specific. But what has been very encouraging um, is that the audience that we built over the pandemic has on social media via email um, been asking when our next project is going to be happening. Um, and, and uh, you know, that, that it's been almost a year and a half in, in the making for our um, third bigger project. Um, and yet there are, people are still kind of clamoring to, to hear more. Um, so it just, it felt like, you know, if there's, if there is this kind of interest, um, you know, we should, we should try to figure out how to continue making this work and also expanding the audiences too. Um, a part, big part of what our, I mean, the, the thing that I love about these projects kind of the most is that like they, they present so much potential for access to this, to this kind of work and to experiences, um, particularly we're, we're engaging um, members of the visually uh, impaired community. Um, there's this amazing um, nonprofit called the Lighthouse Guild um, who's become very interested in uh, our work. And they essentially, um, they help, um, they're a nonprofit, a U.S.-based nonprofit, and they are dedicated to helping slash inspiring people who are visually impaired in their day-to-day living. Um, and, uh, you know, traditional theater going experiences, again, are so visually focused, um, with sound really being a supportive device. This is really work that's almost, um, you know, as much as they've been enjoyed by folks from all walks of life, students, Shakespeare professors, who've literally taught or continue teaching our work in classrooms around the country, sci-fi nerds like myself, um, you know, like visually impaired audiences are almost, this is exactly who this work speaks to. And there are, I mean, in the U.S. alone, there are a little less than like 20 million visually impaired folks. And, you know, those are people who work is not being necessarily made for on the, you know, as much as it, as much as it should. Um, so, you know, that was the other thing about using using audio to engage, I guess we, we would call them traditionally kind of marginalized audiences, people who aren't often thought of first uh, in theatrical experiences. Is that what specifically inspired you uh, to the idea of sensory deprivation, relying on sound in the dark? Um, are there other parallels that would you say this medium and these type of productions and genres work better when you visually deprived that essentially by extension transports you and immerses you into the story uh, more effectively? Um, I don't know about, um, I don't know about you, Sean, but I, I think we probably have a couple of different um, uh, perspectives on what attracted us to that. For me, uh, it was that Shakespeare was all about, is all about being heard, the words being heard. Um, which is where the word rehearsal comes from, it was the actor's job to rehear all that was said to him or her as if for the first time. And rehears all became rehearsal. And, you know, and Shakespeare's time, people said, let's, they didn't say, let's go see the play. They said, let's go hear the, let's go hear a play today. And they would stand there for several, you know, for four hours, sometimes in the hot sun. And um, it was about listening. So, as much as I love and will always be passionate about working on stage and working live with actors, the idea of taking this language and stripping everything else away to, you know, you, you have an audience that doesn't have to look at the set and the different costumes and try and look at someone and figure out who's who. Um, and you just give them the sound. You give them the sound of the words said by incredibly talented, experienced actors, and you give them a soundscape, a three-dimensional soundscape that puts them in the center of the action that really just kind of electrically connects <laughs> uh, to their imagination. I mean, you put your headphones in uh, and, and these words just go right into your mind's eye and everybody who's listening, each individual can have their own 
experience, they can have their own mental picture of what the witches look like or what Caliban looks like or what's happening in this battle. And so the depriving of the other senses, for me, that was one of the things that, that was attractive to me because it's Shakespeare and it's, it's all about the sound of what's being spoken. Yeah, for sure. That that definitely is kind of that's like definitely paramount in in uh, in this. I also think you know going back to the experience of sitting in that in my bathtub listening to that production in in Texas. Um, Keep getting me to picture you in your bathtub, Sean. I know. Well, yeah, no, it was. It was. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was. Were there candles? It was a PG experience. No, it was completely pitch dark, and that completely dark. Oh, like the sensory deprivation. So your eyes could stay open, and you could just kind of look around and still feel like you were kind of present. But what? That's probably as close as you get to like sensory deprivation tank in a way, right? Yeah. Don't those don't those have water in them also? Like if it's just completely dark and it's. Yeah. That sounds cool. Yeah, no, it was definitely. And so when we started doing, when we started to do our first project, our first immersive audio project, I kind of did a little bit of digging into like figure out like why this happens, like why sitting in the dark actually, like, is that a thing? And there, a study popped up from that uh, was in the British Psychological Society. And they were talking about a particular study that had been done um, uh, among a, a group of um, blindfolded participants. And the study eventually determined um, that uh, human hearing is enhanced after 90 minutes in the dark. So it's almost, um, I mean, it's essentially the, the science is that, you know, Joe is talking about like the electricity, but literally removing, um, removing the visual element, removing sight, that deprivation actually um, stimulates the auditory circuits in the visual cortex of the brain. Um, and that is what is it? That is what sort of like is our mind, our mind's eye, or like sometimes like we refer to it as like the space between your ears, that like magical place that the imagination can just conjure images, take those electrical signals and, and, and turn them into images, you know, much in some ways, much like the, um, the data sonification project that um, NASA had done turning, you know, celestial bodies into um, sounds, um, which has also been really cool for visually impaired folks, um, I hear. So, yeah, I mean, it's almost like that's the, the sensory deprivation is, is kind of the, um, I think that's, that's in some ways the key to unlocking like the multidimensional aspect of the work. Um, uh, sorry, not to use the work like a pretentious person, but like I, I, I think that we do design these to be listened to um, in the dark. So, you know, it also creates these opportunities for, you know, like the minutia of sound that you wouldn't necessarily get in a like podcast or kind of a two-dimensional thing. Well, I love what you say about, you know, just listening in general um, and how, you know, things a lot of these plays were actually written specifically to be listened to and specifically to be heard. Um, And I think especially in today's society um, where most media is just very heavily uh, visually driven, um, you know, bringing people back to that sense of listening and that, you know, kind of that state of just um, hearing and absorbing kind of the sounds that you hear. Um, and I kind of, it's, you know, almost an art nowadays is practicing the art of listening. Um, I know in some of the performances I've done, I, I, I love to kind of bring you to this moment where it's like, I, I do a lot of work in these like full dome spaces, you know, which in the dome is very visually demanding. And I always love to have a moment where the dome is just dark and it's just, you know, like, you know, you kind of like bring, like, you know, people into this space of like, okay, like let's sit with the darkness for a second and just with the sounds that are happening and move away from just being constantly bombarded by this kind of visual um, sense. Yeah. You have so much agency in the dark too. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of freedom. I know Sleep No More, um, that, uh, that immersive, physical immersive experience, there's, there's a lot of, I mean, obviously it's very dim, but you know, you do feel that sense of, you know, at least abandon in your mind when you are, when you're presented with that kind of, you don't often expect to be sitting in the dark with either yourself or a group of people. 
So is there some way that you guide people into this kind of experience um, from the beginning as far as like um, when they, you know, because they're at home, right? And, uh, you know, how do you kind of guide them into like what is the listening environment that they should, you know, what is the best listening environment for them to kind of appreciate this experience? They do receive prep beforehand. There is... um, an individual who is sort of the keeper of the portal, the the listening portal, his, who is called the porter. Um, and the porter prepares people to sort of enter the space. Um, but there's really, it's a, it's largely, um, there's a voiceover that will, you know, encourage folks to take a moment, like, you know, almost like turn off your cell phones kind of thing. And, and it also, it also switches, um, changes location right in the year and it moves around i think too right there's i i i there's this crazy thing that i want to do which i don't know if we'll get to do it this time or not but where the porter actually you actually you actually hear the what i will just refer to as the cacophony of the world the outside world all the sounds and things that can distract us from sirens and ringing phones to people talking loudly on the street you know to buses going by and the porter, in an audible way, takes the listener into this room, shuts the door, and all of that sound is shut out. And then you hear the porter walk across the room and say, you know, something like akin to, you know, please follow me. Like it goes across from your left to your right, and he opens the door on the other side, and on that side is the production. And the audience member you hear the footsteps walking through that door and that door closes and then the production begins this is something that i thought about a while back but we just didn't have the time uh to do it so who knows i I just felt like it would be instructive in a way of 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 shutting out the world and you're going to hear the people in the play moving from one place to another uh, you know, much in the way you hear the porter cross the room and bring you through this door and close the door behind you. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's something I'm thinking about. I love that idea. Yeah, Monica actually asked before what it, what is knock at the gate, and Sean talked about it. And I just wanted to add that knock at the gate, in addition to creating these incredible audio experiences, is also a company of artists uh, who we gathered at first out of a labor of love, who came and did this first project with us because they were passionate about creating and passionate about Shakespeare. And that company has grown and um, we have a lot of repeat uh, company members who have joined us for Julius Caesar, the second production, and who now are joining us again for The Tempest, a surround sound odyssey. Joel De La Fuente is one of those people. He was Banquo in Macbeth. And then he played, I actually saw him in a production, uh, a TV show called Man in the High Castle based on the novel. And he played Inspector Kiddo, who was this kind of terrifying person. And I had never seen Joel in this light before. And I thought, this is incredible. You should play Cassius. (laughs) It made me realize he should play Cassius and Julius Caesar. And now he's playing Prospero in the Tempest. And so, you know, we, and we have many company members who have, who have been in all three of these shows and new company members coming in, people that really understand Shakespeare and understand the difference between audio performance and stage performance, or at least can make the adjustment um, once we, once we get into it and we talk about it. Um, So it's, it's, it's also, in addition to creating these experiences, we're we're a company of artists, and these artists are wonderful. They're very talented. They're incredible people. They have helped us. Uh, they have helped our fundraising. Um, we recently, you know, because now we're back in the real world, the post-pandemic world, we are not doing this. You know, we need to do this on a contract. It's still a labor of love in many ways, but we have a contracts. We need we need to pay people, and we want to pay people well for their their work and their art. And that all adds up and costs money. And these actors have helped us, the company members have helped us raise uh, funds for, um, for this, this third production, which is 
our biggest production yet in many ways. Not only a very ambitious play, but but also because it's got a, a budget and uh, it's there are a lot of costs associated with it. We just recently completed a, a Kickstarter campaign um, where we exceeded our $25,000 goal by $5,000. And that was in large part due to the participation of the artists who participated in a video talking about just what this was and how it made them feel and why they believed in it. So I just wanted to mention that as another aspect of Knock at the Gate, being a company of artists. You've never heard anything like this before. It's not an audiobook. It's not a podcast. A fully transportive experience, both for artists and audiences. Audio virtual reality. I got goosebumps. I'm getting goosebumps now just thinking about it. We were able to really experience the play in a brand new way. It just put one in the scene completely. It's literally like dropping into another place. It transports you. It transports you. Yeah, I think that's extremely correct. It's like, you know, a lot of a lot of very 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 talented artists who are also able to do what do these projects. We figured out a way to record um, and and sort of create them still in isolation. But you know, Joel, for instance, is currently shooting a series in Paris, and we've got you know uh, Derek Wilson, another amazing actor. Uh, who's who at one point was was recording in LA. We've got um, Hale Appleman, who is um, the star of one of the stars of that show, um, The Magicians, uh, who is recording from LA and all over the world. And um, Emily Skeggs, who was a um, Tony and Grammy nominee for that Broadway show, um, Fun Home. Um, so it, it's also, I mean, it's it like gives these artists th- this work kind of gives these artists themselves a meaningful opportunity, um, you know, to explore these these roles that they may not necessarily even be be able to be be present for because they are elsewhere working on other projects. Um, so yeah, I'll I'll also mention that we had a a really um, you know part of you know to your to your question earlier, Monica, as far as what also inspired us to continue building the company was that we did have some really major donors who came forward and validated our work. Um, you know, people who are fans of of the work and who are fans of, you know, our, our approach, you know, Joe's Joe's approach to Shakespeare. Um, but uh, one of whom was the uh, former governor of New Jersey, Tom Kane, um, who made a, a really great contribution to us. So it's like people, you know, people who, who want to see this work continue, who are, you know, putting wind in our sails and, telling us, you know, keep going, keep exploring. Um, I mean, The Tempest is going to, is really exciting to think about the ways that we can deepen the immersion. Um, it is exciting to think that like we could, you know, we, we, we really have the opportunity to create an experience that, that is even richer and more meaningful um, for both artists and, uh, and audiences. I also wanted to say, if I can just add, well, first of all, one of the, one of the really impressive things about this that people are not aware of is that not only are the actors working in isolation, they're working remotely from places all over the country and sometimes the world, but the time frame within which we com- within which we record this is, and I'm this is a compliment to the actors, nothing short of miraculous because, you know, we're working on Shakespeare, and it's you know let's say you've got a a, a, a three page scene. Um, in in this this is a ten minute long scene um, with several characters, and basically what we're doing is we're we're booking two hours to rehearse and record this scene or ninety minutes. So we're reading through it, we're talking about it, we're we're making notes about the text, and we're talking about the characters quickly, and then we're in the course of ninety minutes we're recording. After some rehearsal, we're recording three or four takes of the scene, and. That's what gets edited together. So if you think about the fact that we essentially did Julius Caesar, um, did Caesar, a surround sound experiment, with 24 hours of rehearsal and recording, um, that's, I don't know, I don't know when that's, where else that's done with that production um, and its soundscape and its performances. So I, I just wanted to add that. 
So yes, thank you so much for joining us. And, uh, you know, it's been really interesting hearing about all of the work you've been doing, kind of this project that you're working on um, and your, this company you've formed. What is the future for Knock at the Gate? Um, are you going to continue staying in the Shakespeare space? Are there any thoughts to move outside of Shakespeare? Or um, are you figuring it out one day at a time? Well, I think the immediate future is to get the Tempest done. Tempest, a surround sound odyssey finished and create that, get that soundscape created and uh, release that and grow our audience, um, our listener base. Um, in the further off in the future, I, I, I think that it is a little bit one day at a time, especially when you've just, you know, we've just officially started the business end of the company, creating an LLC and all that. Um, it is a little bit one day at a time, but we are thinking about future projects always. And, and some of those are Shakespeare. We've also talked about other possible, uh, plays that are, that would be well suited to this kind of experience. Um, there's a play, for example, called Wait Until Dark by Frederick Knott, which is about a blind woman in her apartment and, for, I forget the exact premise, but for some reason there are these men coming there to, to try and get something from the apartment, and um, she's in a in a fight for her life against these people, and basically in in the stage play, she turns off all the lights, and so the play is takes place mostly in the dark, and a play like that I think with a very exciting premise would would be well suited for an audio experience, and and there are other plays that we've talked about, which I won't mention because I don't want to give it away. Um, Sean? For, for me, the speaking to the, the Lighthouse Guild and, and, and hearing how kind of excited those folks were who are, a lot of them are like doctors. <laughs> it's just like, these are people who are, I mean, it's like, we're like, in some ways we're like doctor approved. It does make me feel like there is a potential for a research component um, to sort of, and I, I don't quite know what the what the spin is or what the what the focus is or or what can be achieved from it. But I mean, I, I do know that there are so many applications of immersive audio um, that are, that are currently happening right now. I mean, down to video games. Also, you know, like immersive audio that's actually, for instance, helping visually impaired people. Uh, activate their literally do doing what, what we're trying to do things that will activate the um, auditory uh, 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 circuits of the visual cortex um, to allow people to um, you know like he, like to see sound essentially um, and and so I just wonder if there is a potential for you know, some potential like scholarship here to, you know, to figure out like if we can understand a little bit more about the science of sound. Um, I don't know, you know, how much, how much is out there. I know that there's a, there, there, there's a ton of research that's out there, but that's always kind of been exciting, that, an exciting prospect to me, um, which has nothing to do with anything that I think a lot of people would be like, you know, on the whole interested in. Um, but I don't know that, that, that kind of like, that part, the science of it all kind of excites me. But I, I think that whatever it is, whatever the future holds, I don't think that a visual component will come in, into play or, or should necessarily come into play. I think that will be our kind of our, our rigid line there um, is just, you know, to figure out how you can continue breaking the, the, um, the boundaries of immersion through the power of sound alone. Tell us a bit about Tempest and how you're pushing the boundaries for sound design in this particular play. It's a romance. It's a very powerful uh, play. It's It's got magic. It has adventure. It has uh, monsters. Um, it has assassination plots. It has young love. It has clowns. And it's all set on this magical island. And in terms of breaking the the ba the, ba the um breaking the boundaries or pushing the boundaries from what we've done already, um, the sky is the limit because I've been talking about this with our sound designer, Lee Roberts. We can not just create 
uh, a soundscape that has the appropriate sound effects for given moments, like a, a thunderclap or hearing somebody, you know, hearing Prospero break his staff at the end of the play. Um, the audience is going to hear all of those details right down to him draping his cloak over his daughter when he puts her magically to sleep. We're going to hear magic and we're going to feel it through those vibrations. But also we can create creatures that inhabit this island. Um, there's a lot of discussion about the kinds of creatures that inhabit this island that Prospero is on with Ariel and Caliban. And we're, we're going to be combining sounds alchemically, like alchemy, to, to create the sound of a creature that the listener is not really going to know what that is, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to draw a mental picture for them in their mind's eye. And so that's, I feel like that's one of the ways in which we're going to push the boundaries because we can, we, can bring, we can bring them to a place that no one's ever been before. And, you know, they're going to be in the middle of a tempest. They're going to be in the middle of a storm above the water and then below the surface of the water, struggling to get to the surface. Um, so there's going to be a lot of excitement in, in, that, in that soundscape. Um, and I think that is going to push, push the boundaries of what we've done so far. So what is the best way to find out more about yourself and the work you do and to keep updated on when we can all hear the tempest? Go to knockatthegate.com. That is our website, knockatthegate.com. And there you will see many of the things we've talked about and more, including the science of sound. And you will be able to click on samples and listen to samples from our past productions. And you will also, if you would like to support the company, be able to donate to support this current production that we are in the midst of, The Tempest, A Surround Sound Odyssey. Everybody will be interested to hear how that sounds and how some of these imaginative creatures um, get developed sonically. Um, uh, you can actually hear the cauldron scene, by the way, on the website. You can hear the cauldron scene and you can hear the little disgusting ingredients that the witches are dropping in the cauldron. <laughs> plop, plop. Um, and what is the Caesar? Oh, the Caesar sample is the triumph. When Caesar comes in triumph into the city, um, you're going to hear all kinds of stuff there, including the soothsayer, which is uh, an incredible effect that the sound designer came up with when she says, beware the Ides of March. Um, so I encourage people to take a listen to those samples. Well, thanks so much for being here, Sean and Joe. We've really appreciated all of everything you've shared with us today. Um, we have one last question that we ask all of our uh, um, all of our guests. It's a uh, what piece of advice could you give um, to people who are interested in joining the industry that helped you in your career? My one piece of advice is make your own work. I mean, that's essentially what we did. We decided we needed to create something. We wanted to create something. And we made our own work. We, we gave ourselves work. Um, you make it about the work, your passion for whatever it is in audio that you are passionate about. And start doing it on your own with your friends. See what you come up with. And then you go from there. That's, that's kind of what we did, right, Sean? Yeah, I think... To your point, Joe, like in a kind of a different direction, I've been reading a lot about brain plasticity lately, especially as it relates to, you know, visually impaired and all of these technological developments. And I just think that that's like, that may be like my, my, like the, my, my mantra for the next couple of months or whatever, just like repeating brain plasticity, just because. But is that... What's the advice to the to the Well the the advice is is that you need to fig you need to adapt ah. and you need to be able to figure out and, and and your brain naturally adapts, but I think we can be very resistant yes. to new opportunities and just knowing that, you know, to your point about having started in theater, I could never have imagined that I would also be, you know, diverting off into being an audio creator. Yeah. Um yes. which I don't know. There's, I don't know. Uh, it just, it feels like, you know, being open to opportunity feels, feels like the, feels like the, the, the tag for that. In addition to creating your own opportunities. Embrace brain plasticity. Embracing brain plasticity. Absolutely. Yeah, which is super cool. Thank you both. Thanks for the time, Monica and all of it. Thank you.
If you enjoy the podcast and would like to show your support, please consider becoming a Patreon. Not only are you supporting us, but you will also get special access to bonus content and much more. Find out more on our official Patreon page, www.patreon.com slash Immersive Audio Podcast. You've been listening to the Immersive Audio Podcast, hosted by Oliver Cadell and Monica Bowles. This episode was produced by Oliver Cadell and Emma Reese and included music by Rhythm Scott. Got an idea for an episode or want to comment on something we've discussed recently? Drop us an email at podcast at 1618digital.com or find us on Twitter at iAudioPodcast. If you've enjoyed our show, head to our page on iTunes and leave us a review and rating. It really helps us out. Visit immersiveaudiopodcast.com to access show notes and other episodes and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. Looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.